Good morning. How are you? Happy Monday, everybody. Uh, hi, my name is Adam. I'm not a divorcee, uh, but my voice sounds this way because I have three hours sleep from Austin. Great seeing you. Uh, we have Russ Joy, Joy on Broad on Twitter, and a sewer dweller, Kyle Scott. Kyle, how are the sewers? Sewers are good. A little flooded, a uh, little flooded if you're in Houston, but the uh, sewers are good. I, I'm really. I find it cozy down here. I'm really glad that I am sharing my uh, my first day back at work with a sewer dweller and a guy who I thought died in the hurricane. So uh, hey, this is good. It was scary it's... down there. Uh, wait, so Russ, this is the first day of school. Yes. Very exciting stuff. Is your Which wife means... taking your picture before you leave? No, oh I. God, oh, I should get her idea. to do it. But no, but you know what? That uh, that actually brings back uh, a listener f- uh, favorite segment. The Russ has to bail to go educate the future of America, which will be starting up once again. Man, first day of school, Russ is excited. Thousands of kids in Philadelphia are very upset. Hopefully they're listening to this on their way to school. Uh, Oh, did you guys hear that? That was another Reese Hoskins home run because the kid is a fucking freak. And I'm going to call my firstborn son Reese Hoskins Lefko. Very excited. Um, I wasn't here for it. I just know that I was in Austin with a group of 10 other guys and every day we'd be sitting around and all of a sudden one of us would go, no. And we'd all look and go, Reese. And he'd go, yep, hit another one. It's 11 home runs in 14 games. He turned a triple play. We got Joe Madden out here saying that his plate discipline is incredible to watch. So it's not just home runs. This is insane. What has it been like here while it's all been going on, are you going to go to more Phillies games now? I don't know if I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going to, I've been watching more. I think I've only had the luck. I was down the shore last week, so I actually watch more Phillies down the shore than here just because I feel like it's like the necessary background noise for a house full of people. Uh, I think I caught two live. So it's pretty much been the same thing here. Like you look at Twitter and then you check. I've been doing this thing where I check my timeline to make sure it's not running 24 hours behind and I'm not just seeing a replay the day before. Ditto when you go on Facebook, the Phillies have been pretty good about posting videos of his home runs. And I'm never sure which like day's home run I'm watching. The other day I was like, wow, he killed this one yesterday. Then I was like, wait, no, that's last Wednesday. It's like trying to keep up and double check yourself to make sure that you're not like this actually happened again sort of thing that's been a lot of fun like we were at the dinner yesterday and i said to uh like my father-in-law and brother-in-law i'm like hoskins hit another one they're like you mean last night i was like no just now today so it's uh yeah it's it's pretty incredible i mean four straight games and what seven of his last eight games with a home run and the, the rbis i mean his going back to august 19th his rbis per game and I know the stat heads will tell you RBIs are a meaningless stat, but three, one, two, zero, five, three, two, two. That's that's remarkable. Powerball. Any player. <laughs> uh, it, he's now up to five straight games with a home run. Eight of his last nine. He's only. Wow, you're 60, right. If baseball only, referenced in an update. Wow. Only only sixty at bats, and he's hit. 11 home runs. This is incredible stuff. And it comes back to a, uh, a point that I was pretty proud of a while ago that people hated so much. I think it's time to make him the everyday starting first base for first baseman. I, I get that he's doing a decent job in the outfield, but um, Tommy Joe's <laughs> I look, if, if I have to go into another season, if he finishes on a torrid pace and has a good spring training and I, and I'm subjected to watching him be 
relegated to the outfield so that uh, former Hunter Pence pick uh, Tommy Joseph has to man first base, I'm going to lose my mind 100%. Russ, t- t- you can't. Uh, I, we're not having this argument again, and I'm not defending Tommy Joseph as being better than Reese Hoskins, but he's still one of your better hitters. You can't throw Tommy Joseph on the bench. Like you have to. So you then, can trade him. So They're Kyle, gonna yeah, can't. Kyle, trade, what's trade, your plan of trade action? him away. I don't know what the plan of action is, but right now, sticking Hoskins in left for a little while and letting Joseph play first is just fine. Like Joseph has. Joseph still has upside. He's still only what twenty five or twenty six years old. There's no you can't you don't want to just bench the guy. He's actually been playing really well since the first month of the season, and like over his last same deal, like he's he had a five game hitting streak where he had what nine hits in that stretch, and uh, he had a little bit of a rough weekend. But like you can't just you can't just throw Tommy Joseph aside. I, I don't want to like it's he's too good. Yep. And too young. For, clar- for clarification, Tommy's 26, but I understand what you're saying. Um, and it's kind of That's young in out. baseball. That's very young. Yeah, I'm, the only thing I want to say is um, this is about to be the fighting Reese Hoskins's. And if he's not out there, you know, playing his natural position, eventually it's going to become a big issue. But I agree whether it's maximizing trade value on Joseph or whether it's getting two good guys to line up instead of one. The problem is, is. God, if we had a DL, Tommy Joseph would be fine. It really or if Tommy Joseph hadn't, or if Tommy didn't have all the concussion issues and he was still playing catcher, I would be fine. Here's a stat yeah. from uh, Matthew Matthew Osborne. He used to be the editor of the Trentonian newspaper. Uh, I think he's elsewhere now. Follows me. We go back and forth on Twitter a lot. He said, "If you like saber stats, Reese Hoskins' WAR in 18 games is 1.2. Ryan Howard's WAR after the 2008 season." was 1.7. So this is a, it's a, for those who aren't familiar with war wins above replacement, it's a cumulative stat. So it's not like an average where, you know, you can go four for five in one game and be hitting 800. Like it it is the cumulative total of wins you would have contributed to your team uh, above a replacement level player. He's already at 1.2 in, in 17 games, which is, which is pretty darn tough to do. Uh, and Howard was uh, only a half point higher after the entire 2008 season. That's incredible. Meanwhile, Tommy Joseph is rocking a negative 1.2. Oh, I'm there sorry, that's go. defensive. That's defensive work. I'm going to die on this hill, and I don't care. I'm sorry, he's a negative 0.7. Ru- just out of curiosity, Russ, and again, I say this as not a Tommy Joseph fan, like not a huge Tommy Joseph fan, but like what what, a, what would you propose happens? Like you you can't I just take a 26-year-old uh, yep. with All right, so here's, on the here's bench. Here's what we do. Here's what we do. We trade Tommy Joseph. Okay? We put Reese Hoskins at first base. We take Scott Kingery or J.P. Crawford, whichever one, which, by the way, since since we've mentioned it on the podcast, have both been getting work at third base in the minors. And I think we kind of run a, a solid utility kind of setup for next year. We keep rotating guys in. If Michael Franco's, you know, complete garbage during spring training... We call up either Crawford or Kingery. We have them and Cesar Hernandez and Freddie Galvis providing solid rotational depth. And then if it if it so happens that Michael Franco is looking good, then all right, you've got five guys in a rotation for four spots, and everything's fine. I just don't I, – I think yeah, at this point – Russ, like, this I isn't get, like being a swingman in the NBA. You can't just rotate guys in and out of third base. If they've had enough work at third base, you absolutely can. Third if you base can ro- is a difficult position, and you need an a... arm to throw it across the field. Like that's that's they've more been. Imp- Ka- 
Oh my god, Kyle. They've been they've been taking two of their better prospects and they've been moving them in the third base in the minors to get work at third because they're not sold on Michael Franco and I think the thought is that eventually they're going to move Hoskins to first to be their everyday first baseman. I mean, that's what they're doing in the minors. So unless you have a reason that you would move a a lifetime second baseman and a lifetime shortstop in the minors to third base just for funsies, then by all means throw it out there. But I don't think it's just it's not just a a, a happenstance. It's happening because they're they're anticipating moves for next season. That's why you do it. No, I understand that. I guess what I what I'm saying is you can't start if you're doing this in the minors to see if either of these guys can play third. But rotating guys in and out of third in the majors is is tough. Third base is a difficult position. Um, you know, so first of all, the guys got to prove they have the arm. But then just you know having a rotating platoon third base situation with guys who aren't natural third basemen is is not a good way, you know, especially if you're building a team on saber metrics where fielding actually matters, is, is not a good way to to put together a long-lasting team. Didn't the Phillies I, do this? I agree the, they the need Phillies to do have, something. The, the, the Phillies saying. have had rotating third basemen in the past. Okay, yeah, Wasn't I there, mean, they the, had the, uh, the, like Wilson Valdez. Abraham Nunez, Pedro Feliz. Yeah. Like, yeah. They, they've done this before. Like, it is not an uncommon thing. The Cubs have done it. They have, like, Javier Baez out there who, who plays second, third, and short. Like that's the purpose of having a utility man. If you can't do it, like I, I, then I think you have an issue. Like then, then you start getting into when it's time to cut bait or trade Galvis and Hernandez because Kingery and and uh, Crawford are supposed to be two of your top prospects. Are, are you going to allow them to be blocked for the next three or four years? Because I don't necessarily like. I think Hernandez is a really good top of the lineup hitter. Galvis is a really good defensive shortstop. But like at some point, you've got to call up your younger kids. And I'd rather see those guys playing their natural positions than them get sent out to the outfield as well. I don't want to, like, take this whole first day back and hijack it with, like, a conversation that you and I will continue to be. Like, you and I could argue about this for probably an hour. And, no, nothing, look, will, I'm not, and nothing will necessarily be accomplished. But The only thing I'm arguing about is that I don't think... I don't. Th- you you have twice now said that you just put Tommy Joseph on the bench, which seems no. I wasn't absurd. saying on the bench for this season. I'm saying I want to see Hoskins starting first next year. Okay. All right. Fair. That that's my point. Got I, a question here. On, oh, what's up, Kyle? What do you got? Got a question on Hoskins from Joe Fedorowitz. Four minutes ago, how should the Phillies handle Hoskins? Uh, should they treat him as a potential star or just a flash in the pan? Um, I'll take this what? first. I, I I can't imagine you don't treat him like a potential star. He's going to come back. Somebody like a flash in the pan. You're like, listen, Reese. Thanks for all the home runs recently, but uh, we don't think you're going to pan out in the long haul. So uh, yeah, you're not going to get a bobblehead night. What does that mean? Thank, thanks for. I, well, I yeah, I don't know. Thanks for the record-setting torrid first 18 game pace of your career uh we're going to treat you as a platoon player thanks um i think what he's trying to say is 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 reese the real deal or not and like obviously it's too early to tell they there will be a book on him and he's going to stop hitting mammoth home runs every single game however his home run on saturday was like an outside changeup that he waited on it's not like he's just drilling every single fastball um but the league will get a book on him. He'll come back down to earth. He will have his struggles. He will go through a slump and will be like, was Reese fake? But I don't think, I don't, you know, this is a pace that the best players, the most prolific sluggers ever have struggled to attain in terms of like home run pace over the course of two and a half weeks. And again, that's a small sample size, but 
it's pretty pretty incredible what he's doing right now. So at the very least, I think you have a very good major league baseball player on your hands. I also he has almost as many he also has almost as many walks as strikeouts. So there is something to be said. Like we mentioned, plate discipline. Yep. It's it's very encouraging to see a kid come up through this system and actually know how to how to draw a walk. I'd also like to say for anyone that's concerned about our baseball knowledge, we were the guys that also said we wouldn't be interested in Giancarlo Stanton. And uh, holy shit, were we wrong when those trade rumors were coming in. Now has 50 home runs. Um, Kyle, I hear that you're feuding with a radio station. Tell me that's not true. No. No, I've I've been I've been laying in wait for the last month working on something. But uh, someone sent me a video the other day. Maybe I could splice in the audio here. We'll we'll see. Uh, from 97.5's Fantasy Fest, which to me sounds like hell on earth. Uh, I can't imagine somewhere I'd like to be less than Xfinity Live meeting sports talk radio hosts and watching the girls they had uh, do the Miss Fantasy Fest thing. By the way, I got an email from a reader claiming that. Um, many of the girls were left crying backstage because people were shouting nasty things at them. And the, uh, according to the reader, uh, the girls had complained to 97.5 about it and uh, wanted to leave, and they were they were kind of compelled to stay and finish the event. So that is uh, imagine imagine that gone. Yeah, imagine that. I know it is disgusting. You objectified women, you put them in a. It, uh. It, I, it's so sleazy. It is the epitome of what sleaziness is. So they, so they didn't get up on there and didn't say, like, shut up or anything? I, I have an email address of one of the girls this guy gave me. I'm going to follow up with her today. So maybe we'll have more on this by Wednesday. But uh, this is just according to one guy. So I'm not 100% certain, but would not be surprised in the least if it was a total clusterfuck uh, in all regards um anyway so mike someone asked mike they had an open q a with him and gargano i briefly tuned into the facebook live stream which i think had 22 live viewers at the moment and every single comment that filled my iphone plus screen was making uh, fun of gargano for being terrible and terrible rude and or fat um so that's how the live stream was going anyway someone asked mike a question about me, what he thought of me, um, and Mike, someone recorded the tail end of it, basically said I give him credit for sticking around as long as he has, being the fact that he is a sewer dweller. So uh, I don't know what preceded that. He said he was somewhat complimentary your ability to stick around, but then uh, I guess twice mentioned you being a sewer dweller. So uh, it, I, we are not feuding. I just thought it was funny. I got into it with Jamie Lynch on Twitter, which was stupid. Mm. It, so I actually like Jamie. This, well, I no, don't dis I don't dislike Jamie. I just he he had gone off on this this little bit of a tirade. Somebody I guess I follow liked his tweet because I don't follow him, and he he'd kind of gone on this little rant about how it's hard to program a show or to run a social media account for a station when you've got all the Twitter programmers, you know tearing down what you're doing and i kind of said well maybe you should like i, I retweeted i quoted it. i said like all right well maybe they should listen to them i don't know and he like jumped in as like you know oh you're clueless well yeah i didn't go to school to be a, a program guy like i didn't i didn't go to school to be a producer i don't know what the job entails from day to day but if you've got enough people complaining about the job that you're doing on a daily basis that it's gotten so far under your skin that you're now venting to twitter then I think, like, maybe you do have to listen a little bit. 
And if it's like the 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 thing is like there have been so many times on that station where they get just so over the top irate about one little thing. Like Adam Kaplan, I think, was the one who said that they're gonna cut Legarrette Blunt or it's possible. Oh yeah, and they that's went. Right. They, I forgot and, about that. And they mm. went like all in on it. And I guess it was like a day or two of just Legarrette Blunt's gonna be cut. What do you guys think? And like people, of course, were saying that's just stupid. You're trying to stir the pot. And then, like, I, I don't know why they get surprised that people are attacking them on Twitter. And if it's, and I said, if it's the same, because I said, like, if it's enough people, then just, you know, block them. And he's like, well, it's not really. It's just, like, the same 20 people. Then just block them. You know, like, and if you don't want people to trash your Twitter account, then stop using the same stupid setup that's so easy to tear down. Oh, Adam Kaplan says that Garrett Blunt's going to be cut. What are some things that you cut? 610-632. Like, stop. Just change up your formula. It's not very difficult. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) The thing I'm going to add to that, Russ, is um, people that do not have a North Star, like what their direction is in the media, for like what their job is and what their show is going to be, the people that react to the changing winds are the people that do not have a direction and that get upset by other people telling them what direction to have. And what I mean by all that is there are radio shows that really do not pay attention to what callers say or, or anything like that because they're doing their show every day. And when you're kind of reacting to fans, especially reacting to Twitter, which is such a small set of fans of the greater like service that you're doing, you are at the beck and call of everything and you do not have a show. The people have a show and you happen to host it. And that's what it sounds like when you have Twitter exchanges like that. And like I said, Twitter is such a small subsect. And then Kyle, that Adam Kaplan thing, like, I just, that's what I mean when, when I say, like, I love it when, like, let's, re- if, if, like, because it doesn't look like Blunt's going to get cut at all. Like, I love to watch and see how people do with sourced stuff because he apparently had sources and I don't think that's going to happen. So then the next time Adam Kaplan has something, I'm not listening. I'm just putting that out there. Yeah, I'm not sure why you. I'm not sure why you addressed that at me, other than the fact that I did a post on his thing. Well, though, because we um, talked about it on Twitter. Yeah, and oh, that right, was right. one of okay. my things. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, I there were the there were very similar sort of sourced reports about Jordan Matthews two weeks before he got traded too. So I wouldn't I wouldn't totally discount Adam Kaplan. I I don't know. I don't know Adam Kaplan well. I know over the years of blogging, he has he has hit on some things. He has missed some other things. I don't but. know how there hasn't been a website yet that has tracked people's predictions to see who is accurate and who is not. Like I don't know how that hasn't been invented yet with the amount of bold predictions that people make all the time. That's a good point. Well, I mean, but what did, was it a bold prediction or was it something he said in, in yeah. passing on the radio station where I guess he was asked about it and said something to the effect of wouldn't be surprised if he got cut. It's not a foregone conclusion. He's making the team. I think it was more along those lines. And then if I'm not mistaken, he did follow it up with something complimentary about Blunt. So I don't think he was like coming out and saying he's going to get cut. I think he was saying it's not a, it's not, you know, he's not Carson Wentz or Alshon Jeffrey here. Like there is a chance he could wind up not making the team 
presumably if Smallwood, et cetera, you know, really impressed during the preseason. And if you're right that it was just an in-passing thing, or it was just a mention that maybe, maybe he's in passing is the wrong way to put it. And that, but I don't think he was no, no, declaring no, matter of factly but, he was going to get cut. Yeah, like he didn't come on with like that hot take, like right. that was his number one reason for being on the station. Then that kind of speaks to a bigger issue overall with the way that the station built programming. Then right, like then that that should give further credence to why people were so upset that that's the way that the fanatic decided to drive conversation. That's that's where I keep coming back to, and and like here's a crappy thing: when I was in college, I loved ninety seven five. Like that was my station. I I I would listen to that. I'd listen to Bruno and Mays. I would listen to pretty much anything. And I even liked Mike Missinelli at the time. Like I I thought he was doing a good job. Uh I loved listening to like the weekend stuff, the night shows. I was all in on ninety seven five. And I think it's it's kind of fair to point out that I'm in the key demo for their for, for both stations. And the stuff that I've seen over the last year, two years, I've slowly been moving towards liking what WIP is doing better. Now, 97.5 has the app, but WIP, what they're, what they're about to do with their Sixers programming, is starting, uh, like, between that and what they did with Bleeding Green Nation, the incorporation of podcasts and podcast personalities into the radio is the kind of stuff that I think we initially talked about on this podcast as being something that radio stations, especially Sports Talk Radio in Philly, are going to have to come around to doing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I have a few thoughts on, on both of the things you just said. First of all, with regard to 97.5, um, I, I would agree, go, Adam, going back to your North Star point, I think that's a really good one. Um, you look at guys like Mike Missinelli and Angelo Cataldi, and they are general, generally, although you can occasionally get under Missinelli's skin, they're generally undeterred from what people are saying, and they do their show because it's worked for them for a long time, and, and quite honestly, it continues to work. I think when we joked about getting under inside the heads of the afternoon guys and potentially the morning guys on 97.5, um, there may have been something to that because it, it, was, it became easy and clearly... Um, Russ, to your point, it is becoming easy to get under the producer's skin on Twitter or the host's skin, and you have guys like Harry and Rob who are asking, fine, what do you want us to talk about? I think you have to be cautious. We've had this conversation about our podcast itself. Like, don't take, you know, take advice, try and take stuff in stride that people give you, but know that no matter what you do, there's always going to be people on Twitter who hate you, and you have to be able to separate, you know, the the oil from the water in that regards. Um, I would also say with regard to 97.5, uh, it's been a really slow, it's been the toughest, I've been doing this for seven years, and the last 18 months have been the absolute worst 18-month stretch in terms of things to talk about. Because not only have the teams been bad, like, almost historically bad but other than the Sixers and the Eagles trading up to get Wentz there haven't even been any like hot storylines since Chip Kelly left in the year and a half before that the teams weren't good but there was a lot of controversial topics to talk about uh certainly a bunch of stuff with Chip a lot of hinky stuff um you know the Phillies trading away players and firing Amaro like there were actual debatable topics that really hasn't been the case for the last year so that doesn't help sports talk radio to your WIP point um I agree. I agree with WIP. I think having a podcaster in Spike who uh, is their program director 
is is helpful in many ways. But then he has also hired guys like like Chris Carlin and John Ritchie, who are I don't think particularly talented radio hosts and are probably the classic sort of sports talk radio hire. So I I, I would argue there are two extremes. Uh, in terms of what WIP has done. I do like what he's doing with podcasters, but I think, and I've seen comments like this on Twitter, again, grain of salt, but when you take guy, when you take podcasters and put them on the radio, um, the for- what makes podcasts good is not just the host. It's, it's Part of it is the format, like the fact that we can sit here and have, we're 25 minutes in and to have a free-flowing conversation about sports talk radio and the Phillies, Part of the reason people like podcasts is because you have an hour of contained discussion, you address a topic, and you move on. When you put podcast hosts on the radio, they start having to do radio host type of things. And I like the guys from Bleeding Green and and Liberty Ballers, and now Liberty Ballers is going to be a part of WIP's programming, uh, I guess, on Wednesday nights. But when you take podcasters and put them in a radio format, it... All of a sudden, they're they're now radio hosts. So I I think that's more of a stopgap to you know keeping younger fans engaged in radio than a long term solution of oh here's a here's a way to solve sports talk radio take podcasters and put them on the radio. I, I don't think that works because I think they then just become radio hosts. Even if it even if you think it only works in a a short term, I think it's at least an interesting way to go about it. Because like that, there's at least some buzz now about what they're going to be doing with their station. So for those who haven't necessarily followed it, they're kind of rolling out a, a plethora of different uh, varieties of, of Sixers coverage. So they've got Bodner, who's going to be, I guess, like their official on-air contributor. The Ricky is now going to be a, I guess, once a week they're going to be doing the uh, the show as a as a radio show, and they're going to incorporate John Marks. Um, the thing that I thought was the most interesting that I I definitely needed to get some kind of clarification and i did from the station is they they mentioned that they're going to be doing a pre a pre-game show and a post-game show but they're going to also be doing a game react show and like the thing that was weird about it to me is like years ago i was driving through maryland and i remember there was a ravens game on on the radio and it like i got really confused because it wasn't it didn't sound like a guy doing play-by-play it sounded like a guy was sitting in a studio watching the game and just like offering his his quips from time to time like he he would passively sit there and say oh first down uh first down ravens look like uh ray rice ran the ball there three yards to the right i'm like this isn't play-by-play what is this and it and like it was weird because i guess they knew that the only thing that people wanted to talk about in baltimore at the time was that ravens game so they were running counter programming which i thought was just strange so when i saw this announcement that they were going to be doing this this game time reaction show I was like, oh god! Like, you can't get away with doing something like that in Philly. Like, you have I, to. Well, I you have to be careful with that. For and I thought this was interesting in their press release. I think twice it mentioned in either italics or like a like a uh, you know a footnote that we we are not live broadcasting Sixers games. And I suspect they legally have to do that because they don't have the rights to Sixers games. So you have to be careful in terms of how you're talking about it. Like, they can't sit there and say Joel Embiid with the bucket up and good. Like, that's not what it's going to be. I think what they're going to do is just have a Sixers programmed radio show for people who are maybe watching or whatever and, you know, or don't want to listen to the play-by-play because they don't need to and can, you know, kind of have a discussion of the game. But you do have to be careful in those situations because, you know, 97.5 pays a lot of money for the rights to the to the broadcast, which I, I do think well, is interesting. 
that was a clarification that I that I got from the station because I I I had the same kind of question about like how are you going to get around the legality of that, and I, what was pretty much intimated to me is that the the concept I guess is is yeah it's going to be a show that I, from what I gather it sounds like it's kind of meant in some ways to be a complement to what you're watching on TV, that it's almost like the 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 radio version of of Twitter in in a sense like you're going to be able to do your interaction on on social media. But if you have a call in because like Joel goes up and posterizes Nene again and you want to call into the radio and talk about it, like that's your that's your avenue to have a conversation. It's almost like watching a show with people in in like a, a large online chat room is, is kind of how I, I got the feeling. Yeah, so Kyle, I, I, I think it's interesting. Kyle, I agree with you. It is super touchy because like if we're sitting around the couch and we're talking on the radio and all of a sudden like, Oh man, and B goes up and B with the dunk. Like, how is that not play by play? Um, but you know, what else do you put on at that time? I don't freaking know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's a cool idea. I, you know, obviously 97.5 does this with Eagles games too. You know, Uh, not that anyone really is listening to 97.5 during an Eagles game, because if you're in the car, you're presumably listening to Merrill Reese, but you know, this happens all the time in sports talk radio where guys are taking calls on the event going on. But yeah, it's a, uh, you know, you just got to be careful that the, the fact they sent out a press release kind of promoting it and it was clear they, they had a note twice like, hey, we are not live programming because the press release kind of did give off the vibe that they were just kind of going to live discuss the game. And there's probably a line there they can't cross. And I'm sure 97.5 will, um, you know, if they feel like they're crossing it, will will take issue with it. And as as well, they should. Um Russ on the, the the Ricky, it's interesting. Like I saw the thing, they're gonna have John Marks gonna be part of Ricky Sanchez, uh, writes the Ricky Sanchez on the radio on WIP, which they're doing weekly, kind of like they do with Bleeding Green. Spike also Spike and Barchard also allow guys uh, like the Broad Street Hockey Crew to come in and record their podcast. So they're doing a nice job of embracing podcasters, um, specifically SB Nation podcast. That's that's yes. one thing that I yes. I, um, yeah, and and it will never be us because uh, because we're honestly too critical of what they do. It's like half our show is talking about the media. So, um, but I would say that like when you put, I I don't listen to the Ricky that much. I will occasionally, and I guess it's called the Ricky. I just call it writes the Ricky Sanchez. But I, I I would suspect that what makes the show good is the rapport between. Spike and Mike and the times I've heard it it's a very good casual free-flowing conversation and you know occasionally they touch on topics that are that are really um, a little bit outside the the bounds of Sixers and they're colorful and all that stuff when you put that on the radio and you add in John Marks a classic radio guy like is it really the rights of Ricky Sanchez podcast or is it just it in name only and that's what I was getting to earlier like you know, what makes their podcast good is their very specific format and the, the, the rapport between the hosts. But when you add a relative outsider in and you put it into an hour radio block with commercials, it's it's really not the same thing. You're just you're just branding it the same way, but you're basically just doing an hour of Sixers radio. Yeah, I don't know. It, it is going to be interesting to see how it plays out because they can go for like a solid hour 15 every week if they want to about... Uh, like the Brandon Austin right. sexual right. assault Right, and that's charges, not going to fly you know? on like that kind of stuff. Yeah, and I, I don't know. Like, I, I'm going to be interested to see how it how it pans out. But again, like, I think that's part of the intrigue is just seeing if if it does translate well or, or if it doesn't. Um, I don't know. Like, I think it's easier for them. 
I think it's easier for the station to take like Liberty Ballers guys. I think it's uh, Kyle Newbeck is is doing a show. Uh, I think he's doing it with Marks as well. I think that's an easier format. Like I think if if they said, hey, you know, we're gonna take the guys from Sixers beat and we're gonna we're gonna do a pregame show with that, or we're gonna do a weekly Saturday show with that, that's really easy to translate. There's no doubt because those guys are all you know at least somewhat traditional in in the way they go about their podcast. The the Ricky will be interesting because I think it's only gonna be an hour. It really is people kind of tuning in for for the personalities. There, uh, I think you were the one who told me that their listener base has grown exponentially. So if if nothing else, it'll be an interesting experiment to see if personalities can can translate well to the radio, and to see if if there's any soul to that show when it's broadcast on the radio, uh, or if it you know if it's just kind of become a show just by by name alone. Um, I'll be interested, and and I'll like I'll definitely tune in. As somebody like I've listened to that show for quite a while, bef- and I and I enjoy it. So before you go, Russ, I, I know you got to go. Real time question from Mike E. Who plays third next year? Franco Crawford, heck, maybe Kingery. So uh, thought you would enjoy that. Yeah, I mean, I'm we, you don't need to address it. I just no, I, I know, I, I I do think that there are going to have to be some really tough decisions made. Is is all I'm really saying, and I. If nothing else, I think the fact that we're having the conversation and the fact that we have a few guys that can play different infield positions and there there is promise coming up through the farm system after what we, I think, had, had declared a really down time in, in the Phillies minor league system. We hadn't seen a, a lot of really great prospects coming up. Hoskins showing plate discipline. Nick Williams hitting the cover off the ball. Like I, There is a lot of hope for this team. So, I mean, I, I, take, I take all this with a, a little bit of uh, positivity. So sip that with your morning coffee, your orange juice, or whatever you're listening, or whatever you're drinking while listening. Have a moment of silence for Joel Embiid's knees and everybody else in the city of Philadelphia. I'm going to go educate the youth of this great nation. All right, that's Russell Joy. Uh, he's going to go teach your kids about coal mining. Thanks, Russ. <laughs> Appreciate it. He's still there. Oh, he muted himself. He wanted to say something really bad. Oh. Oh. I really, I really wanted to. Uh, Russ, you remember, did. you have to leave your computer on so your audio uploads. Uh, all right, so I'll do just that. Just leave it open. Thanks. I'll leave it open. Hopefully, the two-year-old doesn't attack it. We'll see how that works Put out. It up high. Two-year-old comes on the podcast and goes, now, you'd... Tommy Joseph at third, that's crazy. <laughs> Kyle, you don't understand. He's he's so into American Ninja Warrior at this point that he... He climbs up on the coffee table and yells, beat that wall. If he sees anything that looks remotely like the buzzer that at the end of the course, like at the playground, he just runs up and smashes stuff and just says, I hit the buzzer! Kids cl- so yeah, he would, try to, he would try to climb the bookshelf to get to it if I put it See, up. See, I wouldn't let my kid watch it if he was into the cl- The climbing thing makes me so insanely nervous uh, at 20 months of age. I don't age. know. Your kid uh, sounds dope as shit. Like, I want my kid screaming, beat that wall for no reason. Like... <laughs> Thanks. I'm just going to start punching the wall. See ya. Um, All right. So I watched, I was on a bachelor party and I watched the Eagles Dolphins game. Um, Kyle, I don't know how much you got to see of it. I, I tried to do something on Twitter where I just uploaded a bunch of GIFs that uh, during the game or GIFs, I still don't know what to say. Um, I'm just kind of what I saw in some, some storylines, kind of how it unfolded. Um, and I don't know if the NFL is going to kick off content like that anymore. I know that they're hiring their own social media staffing now, and they're trying to make it more, uh, 
social media friendly. Um, but I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep doing this. I'm going to try and keep doing it during the year. Um, but man, it's, it seems so far away now. The, the thing that just happened was McDougal, uh, was just the, the Eagles just got him, uh, the Dexter from the jets for Terrence Brooks. Uh, there were some people that said, I want to know what Adam's take is. I'm just going to say that, um, I, it's going to be tough for someone in a week and a half to knock out like a CJ Smith or a Patrick Robinson, but um, we are trading a position where we have too much depth. We have five safeties that are guaranteed to make the team, or four definitely, in Jenkins, McLeod, Graham, and Maragos, and then probably Watkins. But we were trading a guy that from a very deep position for a position that this guy was a third-round pick, and he has shown some flashes, and it's it's good to have depth at corner. So I like the trade. I just find it interesting that um, – Howie is the only GM in the NFL that apparently trades, and he trades a lot, um, which I don't know, know if that's good or that means that he just can't make a decision on his 53, so I'm not sure. But the Eagles look good. Uh, that big run by um, Jay Ajayi was scary early, uh, and Devontae Parker just jumping over Ronald Darby was scary. But, you know, the team looks good. Uh, this schedule, man, is going to be tough as shit. The more I look at it, though. Yeah, it is. They don't. They don't really have uh, much of a break. It's. It starts difficult with uh, several games away from what three of the first five on the road, or the first six, something, something yeah. like that. I don't have it in front of me. And then it finishes tough. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't like. I think, it, like big picture. I don't hate where the team is at. I do think they have the potential to be a wild card team, but the the schedule the schedule is always tough because every year there are teams that are supposed to be good, and yep. this is why I think it's so stupid in the spring to go win loss win loss because there's always teams that are supposed to be good who who turn out to be terrible, and there's always a couple of teams who come out of nowhere and surprise you and start six and two, and everyone's talking about them and they are playing for a bye most of the season. So it's really hard to say, but. Um, just on paper, the schedule is not doing them uh, any favors whatsoever. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm looking right now at at some like projections about who's going to make the team, um, and it's just it's you know it's so far away. I just I want to say this. I I said before that I think the Cowboys were going to take a step back. I don't know how much of a step back they're going to take. I still think they're going to be good, and I think Washington's going to be good, and I think the Giants are going to be really really good. Um, so I, I'm looking at eight and eight. I'm looking at nine and seven as the ceiling, uh, and 10 and six maybe, but I'm looking at eight and eight, nine and seven really is where they can be. What are your thoughts for the Cowboys? What are your thoughts on Dak, uh, Dak? Because I feel like, I feel like a lot of people, I don't know. And maybe this is just different because we're running in different circles and you're dealing with more things on a national level. But I do feel like a lot of people kind of wanted to dismiss him as sort of a, a uh, rookie phenom uh, benefited from playing on a good team behind a good line with a good running back. And the fact that he's going to be without Zeke for a little while here, um, you know, people are kind of expecting him to come back down to earth. I think like I'm really high on Dak. I was so impressed with him in that playoff game against the Packers. I know they lost and I know Aaron Rodgers came out of it as the hero uh, for making that pass um, to the tight end. Help me out here. Uh, Jared Cook. Um, Jared. 
Yes, thank you. I mean, that, that absolutely threaded the needle, and he got all the pub from that. I thought Dak outplayed Aaron Rodgers in that game. I thought both of the guys were really good, but throughout the course of the game, Dak, to me, was more impressive because he made many tough throws. Uh, the game was on NFL Network a few about a month ago, and I rewatched most of it, and I, I came away feeling the same way. I'm really high on him, and I feel like he gets discounted um, you know, because he was on a good team, because he's a you know kind of a quick a quick quarterback, like it, all, all the things people want to kind of just cast him aside for. I think he's going to be really good for a long time. Dak's entire career thus far has been designed with the, yeah, but when he was coming out of college, he was being compared to Russell Wilson and people said, yeah, but that's not going to translate to the NFL. He runs too much. He's not a passer. He goes in the fourth round. Um, then he comes in in the preseason after Romo gets hurt against the Seahawks, and I did this too. He put up like three, like like three touchdowns against the Rams, and everyone went, "Yeah, but it's the preseason." Then the regular season comes last year, and it's yeah, but he's got the offensive line, and he's not really having to do that much. I'm just watching in the last two preseason games. His composure is so good. His arm is good. His ability to move is great. Um, and I think they're going to survive without Zeke. I think they're going to do better than um, people think. But I also think it's going to take a hit, obviously. But I think Dak is going to be around for a long time. And I would say that I, I wish Carson Wentz was at his level right now in terms of composure, in terms of accuracy. He's not there. I think Carson Wentz is more talented, but I think that Dak is much further along. Ooh, what do we got over there? That's uh, my dog. Oh, okay. Um, uh, but, yeah, I, I agree. I, think, I agree with you. I, I think it's impossible to look at Dak right now and think that it's all been a ruse. Um, just like I think that um, – and not, this isn't about politics or anything. I think Kaepernick's demise is not as much about Kaepernick as, as I think it is about the coaching staff, the decimation of the 49ers offensive line, and the complete lack of talent around him over the last few years. Um, I think Dak is in a great situation, too where you have a great uh, former co quarterback as your coach in Jason Garrett. He is a great coach. Uh, Scott Lanahan as offensive line, and then you also had Romo there to help him. And I don't think that you should use those as examples of why a guy isn't as good. I would use that as an example of why he is being built up to eventually sustain good. Um, just like I think Carson Wentz is in a great position with three former offensive coordinators mentoring him in terms of Peterson, um, Reich, and uh, DiFilippo, and the fact that he had a former backup to Drew Brees mentoring him in, in Chase Daniel. I thought that was a great situation to bring a quarterback into, whereas Jared Goff got brought into a situation where he had nobody. He had a head coach that didn't care. He had a backup that wanted to play. And he had an offensive coordinator that had never done it before in Rob Boris. So I think you shouldn't penalize a guy for being brought into a good situation just to realize he's more likely to sustain that level of play. Yeah, I agree with you. And I, I question a little bit of Wentz's situation. I know he's with quarterback guys and DeFilippo and Doug Peterson. 
Um, but, you know, like when I look, again, we've talked about the play calling, and until they play a few regular season games, we really are not going to know how it differs from year to year. But I worry about a guy with his talent, with his arm, with his ability to move in the pocket, running an offense that, at least thus far, has gone, uh, what did we call it last time, the, the chode offense, gone more left and right than it goes up and down. Like, I, I don't feel like the Eagles, I know the Eagles were not working with it, good receiver set at all last year um and they got some help this year in that regard and they do have some line depth and hopefully they take more chances down the field but I I just don't feel like they were maximizing his abilities and as the season went on I I began to feel like any quarterback could be doing running the offense that Carson Wentz is is running right now um so I know like it's hopefully a debate for a long time to come between Wentz and Dak but uh, the more I watched Dak last year as the season went on and he continued to go up and Wentz just sort of plateaued in a very vanilla Eagles offense. I, I don't want to call it vanilla. A very, uh, it, was, it was imaginative. We'll give it yeah. that much. But a, a very mundane Eagles offense. Uh, I was, you know, I, it was hard to really make that argument for Wentz now. I'll be interested yeah. to see what happens. All right, so let me, let, me, let me give you just a little something that people have been asking me a lot. I tweeted out to an Elliott Shore Parks tweet before about Nick Foles and how he's probably not going to make the team. And I, I'm going to give you some source stuff. I know that the Eagles have been calling about other backup quarterbacks. I have a source. And I know Ooh. that it's the one of those Eagles, guys cap. Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, but I know that the Eagles right now, for some reason, are not fond of Nick Foles. I don't know what it is. And I went and I re- re- read Doug Peterson's comments uh, yesterday talking about his injury and all that stuff. I don't know the reason. Um, I also think that when people say, yeah, but they paid all that money to Foles and this would be a dead cap, I don't think they care because I think that the amount of talent they have at wide receiver, defensive line, and the amount of help they need in the secondary, you don't keep a quarterback that you don't like just to spite all those other positions where you need depth. Um, so I have heard something. Um, whether or not they act on it will be seen. But I am, I am right now I'm thinking that Foles isn't making the team, which is, I wow. guess, a surprise. Um, I think that McGloin has not looked good. Um, but I also think that um, people are a little more critical on him than, like, I don't think if Foles was out there, he'd be doing much better. I, I think the backup offensive line is, you know, it's a backup offensive line. And I also think that McGloin, they put him in against the Dolphins' number one starters last week. And um, I, I'm not going to become a McGloin apologist. I would have liked to have seen more Dane Evans. Um, but apparently they're seeing enough of him in practice. Um, running back, Kyle, I don't know how they keep Pumphrey. I really don't. He's not a special teams guy. He's not as good as some of the other guys out there. He's not better than Byron Marshall. He's not better than Clement. Um, I And I don't see the speed for him to survive in the NFL. I just don't. I, I know he, he, he we wanted him to be a fan favorite, but I think we need to hope that he gets through to the practice squad. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if you don't have the complete breakaway quickness and speed and you're a small guy, like there's there's not a role for you in, in the NFL. And it's a shame because, what, he was fourth-round pick? Um, yes. Yeah, yeah, that, that's going to be a tough one to swallow. 
Um, the other the other thing you brought up earlier there, uh, Foles is dead cap. So yeah. if the Eagles cut him this year, according to Sport Track, we're looking at a seven million dollar dead cap. That would put the Eagles by far and away uh, with the most dead dead cap space in the league. I think they're third right now. Uh, and they're like two million behind the leaders. I don't have it in front of me at the moment, but that would put them by far and away at the top of that list. And at least three of those guys would be quarterbacks. You'd have Bradford, Chase Daniel, and Nick Foles making yep. up a substantial amount of dead cap. For a guy, like I know you got to do what you got to do, but uh, what is your take on on Howie Roseman, the cap sure. genius, let's, now let's pushing fo- up against having more dead cap money than anybody in the league? So let's focus on guys on- that he signed, by the way. Yeah, it's all quarterbacks. So the Sam Bradford one, I completely understand. You traded him to get a first-round pick to then turn into Carson Wentz. So I would do that again in a heartbeat, and i take that money, and I would but, flush but, it But, but, here's toilet. my butt on that, real quick. My butt would be he signed him two months earlier. So it's not like he was handed this like right he re- he made the decision to repay him and then two months later is like oh now we're going to trade up like the, i i was but sort all, of but miffed all, at the lack of foresight in that now hold on was that after carson wentz was drafted right that was before carson wentz was drafted sure but it was the same offseason like it, it, yeah no, i feel like I, if you feel like you might trade a guy and you th- like i, don't I get they there were was thinking that Kyle, that's why I think that the thing that messed it all up was the Dolphins. When the Dolphins said that they would trade for Byron Maxwell, who got burned by Zach Ertz in that preseason game and should shut his mouth, uh, Byron Maxwell and Kiko Alonso to move up to the eighth pick, that's when all of a sudden Howie went, holy crap, we actually have the assets right now to get one of these quarterbacks. And so that's why I kind of look at Sam Bradford's contract and go, I don't think Howie ever thought he was going to get Carson Wentz. And the contract was because Sam was going to be the starter for the first two years, just like the reason the Vikings were willing to give up a first-round pick. I think the Dolphins trade really threw everything off whack. I've always believed that. Yeah, no, I agree with you, but I mean, he also then signed. He also signed the same offseason Chase Daniel, and now Nick Foles. And yes. if you wind up cutting Foles, like you've now, you, you know, you've now went out and signed three quarterbacks who you were pretty confident would be on your roster, and to have all three of them counting significantly against your dead cap space, like these are the things that I worry about with Roseman. Like he has a very Paul Holmgren feel to him at times for, for a guy who is credited with being such a, a cat yes. genius. He, he tends to be a little bit reckless in the money he gives out. Uh, and those guys not panning so, out. So Chase Daniel, I thought from the beginning, holy crap, that's a lot of money for a backup. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a ton. Now he did have good spurts in Kansas city. And I would also want to say, Maybe Doug petitioned for him. Doug Peterson just came over from Kansas City. He saw what he was like. Um, And I'm sure, you know what, Howie probably threw a few extra million on there as I need you to teach Carson Wentz. Um, Because, look, to me, the story about how he brought Drew Brees' schedule in for Carson Wentz still resonates with me as a super positive about Chase Daniel. Um now, cutting him, I don't know what the situation was on that. Well, they I don't cut know. him in lieu of Foles. It was like the day right. after it was I like, think it was they like, signed Foles. Right. It was like we're, we're saving $4 million by having Foles instead of Chase Daniel. And, and now we, if you cut Foles, he has $7 million dead cap hit. Like that, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also, I guess my question is, um, 
if this if this money is done and it's gone and next year it's completely off the books and if we were to have signed somebody with all of that dead money that would be on the books for all these years if it prevented us from signing somebody yes but i don't know why this is just a weird question why people get upset about money that doesn't matter but um if it prevented them from signing an extension or if it prevented them from signing a new contract then i have an issue with it but at this point we wouldn't be doing anything with the money anyway you know what i mean uh yeah i be- so tell me i don't know the inner workings of the nfl contract Foles also has a 5.4 million dollar dead cap next season so do they have to pay that as well or is it just for the season that you no, cut that him? no that should be next season as yeah, well yeah that yeah so that um, like that's he's got a two-year 11 million dollar deal his base salary actually no no hold on it, it depends if it's guaranteed or not uh so i'd have to look into that guaranteed at signing seven million so the cap you're looking hit, at over the cap sport uh sport track Use over the cap. It's a little bit more accurate uh, than Spot Track, but Spot Track is good. Spot Track. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. It's it. He's allocated a lot of money to people that he's later had to cut, which is not good. Um, I think the Carson Wentz uh, hold trade and all that stuff always gives GMs like a two three year window of gloating, especially when it goes well. Uh, he also has a propensity of signing a high. Uh, high like um notoriety free agents uh like alshon jeffrey and then all the dream team guys that gets fans very very excited um i think how he is going like the vinnie curry deal vinnie curry looked great on thursday but that has not looked as as great as he would hoped um yeah i I am not i am not sold on howie being this great gm um i think that i like that he has enough contacts in his phone that people want to trade with him all the time. I like the fact that he has guts and he's willing to make big trades. And I've liked some of the picks, but like, look at this draft right now. Like the one that the Eagles just had, like we're talking about um, the, the Pumphrey being cut. We're talking about uh, Gibson, like dropping the ball all the time and not looking that great. Um, Derek Barnett has looked good. Sidney Jones, we will wait and see. Um, Russell Douglas looks good. Mac Hollins looks good, but like, and, and you know what? Let me take that back. Elijah Qualls and Nate Gary have looked good, but a lot of his drafts haven't panned out. They really haven't, but, um, no, I'm not here's told him num- being a great draft guy either. So here's the number on false cut after June 1st, which is, which this would be uh, dead cap money, 4.6 million in 2017, 3.6 in 2018. Um, so that's, you know, significant next season. I think so. I agree. Uh, I agree. Let, let me ask. Um, yeah. Again, and my my thing again. This isn't going to prove itself out for a while. But to your point about him having contacts and people being eager to deal with him, uh, just from a very anecdotal level. Sure. That is the Eric same Rowe? thing. What's that? You gonna say Eric Rowe? No, I was going to say it, it, it. That is the same thing that we said about. Holmgren and Amaro like hey this is interesting you know they they are always willing to make the splash and you see that not only that again very anecdotal but not only that not work out in the short term but also it 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 hurt the teams for two to three years down the road after those guys left and they're both the eagle uh 
Flyers and Phillies are just getting out of that sort of management style right now. Um, again, that it's it, you can't draw a direct line there. I mean, you know, I want to get your thoughts on the Lane Johnson thing real quick. Sure. I just also uh, want to say really quick about the Eagles. I don't know why they didn't play the whole first half. Like, why? Like, get reps. You're not going to play them in the fourth quarter. I don't know why they didn't play the entire first half. It was just to see Matt McGloin in there that early, I wanted I wanted Carson Wentz in there more. That's just me. All right, so Lane Johnson, he had the Players' Tribune article or the fact that he doesn't look great at left tackle? Uh, well, both. I Do you think he wrote the Players' Tribune article? I, I told you, I don't think anyone writes <laughs> Players' Tribune articles. I think they're all bullshit. It, I think it, that they go in there and they say, hey, man, I really want some positive press. And um, I'm going to say that, yeah, I'll say we'll, ki- we'll kick the Redskins' ass. Sure, let's say that. Okay, cool. To me, this oh, was dope. so transparent. Like, you have a guy who the fans have been kind of down on for multiple reasons. He he ripped the fans a couple of years ago, first of all. And then he had the ped stuff, and he blamed everybody but himself. And, and he might have a case on the second one. Uh, and now there's a, there was a little bit of concern about him at left tackle last week. And then out he comes with a piece titled, Don't Mess With Philly. And talking about how great of a sports town Philly is, how he's made mistakes in the past, uh, and taking a shot at the Redskins. I thought that was like PR 101 right there uh, from, from Lane. And then, of course, it gets picked up by the Redskins, and then it turns into a thing, and now Lane's talking about it two days later because they're having a back and forth. And, like, if there is if there is a way to win over fans in Philly, it's to take shots at, at the Redskins, Giants, or Cowboys and then get into a pissing match and say really tough, you know, grumbly, seaweedy-type comments about the other team and, and get the fans behind your back. I feel like his publicist deserves a firm pat on the back this week. Yeah, p- please realize that Players' Tribune is relevant now during NBA free agency where you're going to get a bullshit puff piece about some NBA player uh, that you're not even going to read you're just going to realize that, oh, it's been announced that Gordon Hayward's going to Boston and that it's some nonsense. He wrote four or five different articles. But he didn't. Someone wrote four <laughs> articles for him depending on which team he went to. You know what I mean? So how is that authentic? How is that from the voice of the player? No, that's from the voice of his PR person. And then there's like one article every month in which you go, wow, like – Man, that Dion Waiters piece was good. And then it's like a bunch of crap. And I would file this under a bunch of crap. This is, the Players' Tribune has become a PR piece for all of these athletes uh, to just, to, to have someone write something for them and then to take credit. And they're not even interesting and they're not even good and they barely shed any light. There's one article every month to two months that's worth your time and the rest are nonsense. Um, and this was one of those for sure. This was completely a puff piece. I like. I would love to. I don't want to spend any of my time doing this, but figure out who Lane Johnson's like agency is, and then see if there's a correlation between uh, athletes that have been in Players Tribune and that agency. Because I bet you they just treat it like it's a PR arm of their agency at this point. That would be my guess. Now that now that sounds like a blog post in the in the making. I like that. Yeah, I just don't want to do the work. So if you want to do that, <laughs> go for it. I'm just not interested in bringing down the Players Tribune. Uh, yeah. No, I was I was waiting all week for your take on that because I figured you it would have been exactly as it was. Um, I I think you know it's it, it's a really smart. It, the Players Tribune is smart. It's Derek Jeter's baby, right? Um, 
It's a really it's smart Derek thing. It's Derek Jeter's baby, just like Casamigos is George Clooney's tequila. They have <laughs> nothing to do with it. They just put their name on there, and then everyone's like, George Clooney drinks this. It's like, yeah, because they sold for a billion dollars because you believed it. Like, do you think Derek Jeter is there in editorial board meetings going, hey, guys, I think we should change the font. I don't really think it's good for readership, and I've noticed that there's a trend. On- He's not doing any of that. No, like, but do you think he was, he was someone... Initially, who was like, "Hey, like, here's a guy who, who sort of, you know, famously given away, wanted to control his image, and we have, a, we can build a platform to allow athletes to control their image, which is exactly that's what, what I mean. It, it was, it was genius marketing, but yeah. I don't think that, like, I don't think Jeter is involved with it at all. And I know that they've given up so much ownership to so many athletes that I don't even know how it's going to like make like value if it's ever sold. I, I just. Like I know like Blake Griffin has ownership and all these athletes have ownership and it's just, but you're right. It's just like how title is really known as like Jay-Z's streaming service when Jay-Z was one of like 50 artists that were a part of it. But we like how Jay-Z owned the Brooklyn Nets and he owned like 0.6 or like Drake owned the Raptors and he doesn't own the Raptors. It's just all of these things are such bullshit. Here's well, yeah, Will Smith with the Sixers as a very, very small piece uh, on a hyper local level. Um, <clears throat> and this isn't a dig, but uh, Glenn Macnow and his Conchahokan Brewery, which he promotes a lot. Um, there's like ten owners of that place, and and Macnow is a very, very tiny part, but he is the he's he's essentially on board as the public face. He's the guy who tweets about it and goes to the Phillies games and takes pictures of the tap and say, hey, our our Conchahokan Brewery and their beer's good. Like it's I, I their beer's very good and their new Blood Orange IPA is fantastic. But uh, but yeah, same deal. It's like you know you take the the smallest minority owner and you make him. The oh, face I, I always used to wonder Rick Pitino would have like a horse like running in the Derby. And then you'd find out that like there was like six other guys that actually paid more, and it's called Rick Patino's horse. And I'm like, I wonder what those other guys think. Like, and then you find out it be... actually wasn't a horse, and it was actually a woman he was plowing on the floor of an Italian restaurant. Uh, it was the booth, and I was there for the trial. And I like Rick Patino, so I'm not going to besmirch him right like That's this. That's right, you're a Louisville guy. Okay, so I can't yeah. take my digs. It's not because I'm a Louisville guy. It's because I, it's because I covered him, and I was like, this guy is a crazy Italian dude and I kind of like him. And, uh, did you cover you that? Did you cover that whole story? It was like my second week in Louisville. Oh, that's one of my all time favorite. When he walked in the courtroom looking like an extra out of Goodfellas and everybody <laughs> turned, it was one of the coolest things I'd ever seen in my entire life. I took my parents to Porcini's, which is the restaurant where it happened. Did because you sit in the booth? Is there like so, a special, like do you need so like earlier in the trial, Kyle, let me tell the story. So early in the trial, they showed the layout of the restaurant and they showed on a map like where he sat and all that stuff. And my parents came into town and I knew exactly where it was. And we got the booth and it it wasn't on purpose. They happened to sit us in the booth right next to it. And I lean into my parents and I go, mom, dad, right there. That's where it happened. And my dad goes, that's where what happened, Adam? And then my mom goes, my mom goes, I don't care what John Calipari did in here. And it was so loud. And I was like, shut up. Oh, my God. And, uh, yeah, other food. It was the, it's the best Italian restaurant in the city. Like, it's, 
their food is like when you, it's like the most expensive restaurant there. So, uh, no, that was, that whole thing was crazy, man. What's so funny is people think that Rick Pitino was on trial and he wasn't. It only came out because the woman was extorting him and he had to take her to trial. Did you, was there a little Alfredo sauce left over on the booth? Uh, no, I got the veal, uh, with the marinara. You you missed that and probably no I got it I just wasn't playing okay. alone. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. Yeah, we were talking about Players Tribune. Yeah. Yeah, we were talking about Players Tribune. That's how the whole thing got out. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that makes sense. But Derek Jeter, Lane Johnson. Yeah, it's all bullshit. See the man behind the curtain. Good stuff. Uh, you got cool. anything else? No, just hit us up on iTunes with a five-star review. Thank you for everybody's patience in the last week for us uh, taking time off. Kyle was down the shore. I was in Austin surviving a hurricane, and Russ was getting ready to bring in protractors, compasses, and rulers for another exciting year of whatever grade he teaches. So hit us up on iTunes with comments. Uh, Eagles play Thursday night. Reese Hoskins continues to mash the MLB. Hit us up with anything and everything, and we'll be sure to get to it. Kyle, got anything else? Uh, That's it. See you Wednesday. Actually, if you're a fan of the site, uh, I'd recommend you read it on Thursday at 10 a.m. Thursday, 10 a.m. Are you going to have any information about what you're doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Big. Is big this things. the big announcement? This is a big announcement. Thursday at 10 a.m. Thursday at 10 a.m. So we will get more insight. Hopefully a podcast preview on Wednesday. Just a little nibble. Uh, and then the big rollout for Crossing Broad will be Thursday, which I'm not affiliated with, but I'm excited to see it. So hit us up on iTunes. Hit us up on Twitter. I'm at Adam Lefko. He's at Crossing Broad. And Russ would love to hear from you, I'm sure, at Joy on Broad. We will talk to you on Wednesday.